Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to my underground lair. everyone welcome to another episode of the new england society of geeks podcast i'm derek and this is going to be kind of a special little one-on-one uh episode uh i have a i have a, a gentleman with me that you may be familiar with if you've listened to the past and that is of course eric how you doing hello hello and this is going to be an episode all about video games because uh you know well because uh, why don't you tell the folks what you do for a living? Uh, well, I make video games for a living. Um, yeah, I, I've played them since before I could even read. And uh, we can get into it in a little bit, but there was a specific time slash kind of moment where I was like, I want to just play these. I want to make these. Um, well, we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. So that was really young. So for for a long time, I was one of those few people in like middle and high school like even like eighth grade where i already knew what i wanted to do mm-hmm. um so it made you know the process of like what classes to take and how to you know where i would want to go to college it made that a lot easier because i knew from such a young age that i wanted to make games for a living right not um, a lot of people are that lucky right right most <laughs> people are like you know three years into college and they're still like wait a minute, like, I still don't know what I want to do. <laughs> so I was lucky and fortunate in that I knew from a super young age that I was like, yeah, oh yeah, that's easy. I want to make games. Um, and it sort of sprung out of, it started with me realizing that I was analyzing games just as much as I was playing them. Oh, so really? I, I liked, like, it, I think it started really young when I w- would watch my dad, like l- literally before I could read, I was watching my dad play like System Shock 2 and like <laughs> all the old games. Like, I remember at one point I watched him play like Vice City GTA. Oh. Um, and I, I noticed that I was like, what makes this fun? Like, why would I want to keep playing this game? And I think that's when I sort of started to realize like, oh, like that's, you know, I, I think that that's more interesting to me than even playing them is like what makes them fun. Awesome. Um, awesome. But yeah, the, the sort of, I would call like the turning point moment was, uh, one of my favorite games when I was younger, still one of my favorite games of all time is, uh, Warcraft three, mm-hmm. uh, ran a chaos by blizzard. And, uh, I played that a lot, but one of the features it had was a world editor. Um, so you could make your own maps and like ah, custom right. games and all that jazz and i started messing around with that and that was when i realized that was sort of the moment where i was like i like making it more than i like playing it and there was sort of a turning point where i started spending more time making maps and like custom games and stuff than i did playing the game itself um so that's sort of what i would say where it started was like i was like oh like this is way more fun to make and design and like figure out how to you know make the the gameplay flow nicely and all that so that's when i was like that was sort of the turning point so that 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 makes me think of for me it's like um it's sort of similar but not exactly it's it's uh as far as like D D and like tabletop rpgs i used to play those a lot when i was in high school and then i started uh 
DMing games, like mm-hmm. running the games. And as soon as I started running the games, it was like a whole different. Yep. It, yep. Like I, I, I have the same thing. I yeah. can't. I, I don't even enjoy playing them anymore because right. I'm always like, I want to run this thing. Yeah. So I'm sort of the same way, except I will have times where I get a really good idea for a character. And then I'm like, okay, now I kind of want to play as a, as <laughs> sure, a player. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, like I have a current campaign that we do once a month that I DM. Um, and yeah, one of the funnest parts for me, like it's gone past, like my inner designer took over and it's gone past <laughs> like just making a world and like something for the characters to do. Like I'll make a lot of homebrew content mm. for them. Um, and like, especially with D&D Beyond now, it's super easy to oh, just right, make yeah. a new homebrew thing. Yeah. So like I've filled our campaign with like homebrew stuff that like I, I don't just throw in and make sure it's overpowered like i'll i'll test it and like i'll have them use it i'm like does this seem overpowered to you and they'd be like "Eh." and then i'll be like all right i'll change it to this (laughs) so like i even balance the homebrew items even even though i don't have to right because like right the whole point of them is you can just make whatever you want right that's the whole point of D &D. and but yeah i still my inner designer's like no this doesn't feel balanced enough so then i'll I'll like be like yeah this does this now and they'll be like okay like they all just accept that like all of the items and things that they get that are homebrew are like living things. So like they change over time and they're, they're they're all okay with that. So is that, Um, is that a, is that an aesthetic that you've always had or is that more as a a result of video games, the, the wanting to make sure everything you make is balanced out and and works properly? uh, Yeah, no, it's always been the way I've never, there's a lot of things I've wanted to do, but I don't because I want to do it right. right, So like, I remember as an example in high school <laughs> for my Spanish class, we had to um, take a popular song that was in English and then we would make like a Spanish version out of it. And then we had to make a music video. Oh, so like, I didn't just make the music video. Like I went all out, right? Like I found the, <laughs> like a, what a lot of people did is they just played the music in the background as they were recording and they just sung over it. No, like I found the instrumental version Oh, yeah. And then I had everyone record it and we, we used audacity and stuff. So like I, I, I rented a recording mic from a friend who had a recording microphone. So like I went way over and above and beyond. And that's like, if it's something I care about, yeah, like I, I have to make sure it's perfect. Right. Right. Um, or not even, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to feel right and natural. That's my, that's my main sticking point. Um, in a lot of what I make and a lot of what I would change when i look at games because like i say you know i'm constantly looking at a game and i'm like how can i make this better um and for me it's always like it has to feel natural more than anything Mm. and sometimes if that means it's unbalanced that's fine because it feels more natural um so yeah that that goes through with with not just games but more of everything that i make like if i'm interested in it i want to do it right right if it's just like obviously like some random homework assignment that you had in high school or college or whatever, then like then I'm like, ah, eh, whatever, I'll just get it done like the night before. But if I cared about it, I'd like spend time and That's, I'd make sure. I've always been the exact same way. Yeah. Like if it's like, you know, like when when I used to do my creative writing class in school, if it was something that like there was one time my teacher had us go out and hug a tree. And say, now write what it felt like to hug a tree. And I'm like, I really don't care about this one. So I just wrote whatever. But if she gives, you know, if you get like a a writing prompt that's something you really can dig into, then I'll just like go to town on it. Right, right. I have two famous examples of that. Um, I mean, obviously, I I took a lot of, so I have a, I got my major in game design 
and then a minor in computer science. But I also got a minor in history, and that was partially mm. because my dad was history teacher, and uh, it's sort of just I sort of grew up being more interested in it than normal. So I was like, you know what, I. I, I don't have to go out of my way to get it, so I'll just take the like three extra classes to, or four extra to get the minor, and I ended up taking like seven extra classes. So two of my my most famous things was one of the classes. Um, we it was like how to write like academically and critically, like if you're writing as like right, like right. a academic like peer reviewed paper, right? Because it's a whole and it, different thing. And it was thing, about yeah. metaphors which is the most boring subject oh. <laughs> in my mind. But the content I used was what made it interesting. So I was allowed to, use, I had to have at least 20 different metaphors that was used in the paper. I had 40 because I just took a bunch from movies and from music ah. and it ended up being like a 30 page paper. <laughs> um, and that was one of my moments where I was like, yeah, I got a hold of something that I was like, okay, I'm, I actually like this. Like, even though metaphors, like writing about them is boring, like dissecting each individual metaphor was what made it. I get um, that. I totally get that. It was yeah. what made it spread out. Yeah. Right. Cause it's just like something that you're interested in. It's like, Oh, this is a, one of my favorite lines from a movie. Right. Let me spend a paragraph dissecting it, which is why it was fun. But then the other example was I actually had a creative writing for games class. Ooh, and the final project was you had to make a, I had to make part of a zone for an RPG. So you had to have a map and then like a quest line and it wasn't big at all. Like the assignment, it was our final assignment, but like relatively speaking, it wasn't very large. Um, you had to have like six different individual quests. You had to have like uh, at least like 30 lines of dialogue or whatever, just like random stuff, but it wasn't very big. I ended up taking that and I went way above and beyond. <laughs> and I ended up making the structure for my current D and D campaign. What I ended up doing is I took the story I was making and I made it the backdrop and the, like the, uh, world for which all the characters were in. Oh, cool. Um, and one of the zones that I made for the assignment, they have the characters have gone through, but like they haven't used any of the quests because like it doesn't pertain to their story. But yeah, it ended up turning. I was like, I took it as an opportunity and I turned it into the backdrop and like I did the world building through that assignment. So I handed that assignment in. It was like thirty pages, and we had to do, um, we had to do like presentations on it, and like my presentation. I made a world map, which like a lot of people just like drew on a piece of paper. Right. No, like I went in Photoshop and like I had like the territories colored like, oh, this faction owns this much space. This faction <laughs> has this much territory. So like I went way over the top with that one. And that was all um, for for a class assignment. Yeah. Yeah. And it well, And like I said, it was that in particular, it turned into like like my mind wasn't even oh, I'm just going to get an A on this. Like, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to use this as the opportunity to right. set up, like, my D&D world that I had I had kind of brewing in my brain for a while. So I was like, that's how I'm going to do it. Like, And it completely divulged from the assignment. It even got to the point where, like, a couple <laughs> days before the assignment was due, I was like, oh, wait, I have to meet some of the requirements. <laughs> like, like, oh, I have to write the dialogue and stuff. So, like, it turned back into assignment right at the end. But like, for, oh, yeah, that's Yeah, right, for, yeah. like, a month, I was just, like, writing and writing and writing and drawing maps and, like, building dungeons. And then I was like, oh, wait, this is supposed to be, a, like, a homework assignment. Um but yeah, uh, so yeah, everything I, I like to I, I like to look at the design behind everything.
Um, and yeah, that also extends beyond games into movies in particular. I've always been fascinated with like the production behind things, like yeah. how much goes into it, like how much time. Um, and like, I always will, you know, you can ask Haley, who's also been on the podcast. Every time we go to a movie, like I'll point out kind of outrageous things. So oh, like, yeah. the last example I gave her was the end of infinity war. Um, <laughs> there was during the credits, there's like 300 3d modelers and vfx artists oh, yeah. and i was yeah. like this is an animated movie <laughs> like you can literally see there's a wall of oh, like yeah, 3d yeah. modelers and vfx artists and i was like yeah I was, I was like that's what interests me is thinking like holy crap you don't think about it but like 80 percent of that movie is cgi mm-hmm. and it's basically an animated movie with a couple shots of like actual characters I love no. I love seeing like behind I love watching behind the behind the scenes stuff and everything and I like to I've always been interested in how the thing not just watching the things or playing the game or whatever but learning how things are made which is why I wanted to have this this right. this podcast with you um because now I got all kinds of things popping into my brain that I got to try to sort out <laughs> <laughs> but but um so one thing I wanted to ask you was um. Do you, so do you now say if you're playing a game or something, which I don't know how often you get to do that anymore these days, but I find time. Yeah. But, uh, do you, so let me, let me put it this way. I've listened to interviews and podcasts with people who make movies and they have said things like, um, they can be more forgiving, forgiving with some movies because they understand right, right, yep. what it takes to get this movie made and yeah. get it done. Um, I, I've also heard in interviews, which is when I think about it, true for me too, where um, I remember there's an interview with a director who was like, I make like horror films. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I never watch them. He's like, because I, I, you sit there all day and it's like dark and dismal and just like terrible right, yeah. and horrific and he's like i go home and i watch comedies he's like that's all i do is <laughs> sure, i watch yeah, like sense, yeah. 30 rock the office he's like all i do is watch like comedy sitcoms and like comedy movies because he's like i just don't want to be a part of that <laughs> so that's kind of this i noticed it's the same for me so i guess i can get to saying like i what i mainly make at, at this point in time are are mobile games right specifically augmented reality games um so i find that i don't really play mobile games that often there's one that i play on and off and i've been playing it the past couple days but um it's a tower defense game but Mm. for the most part i don't touch mobile games at all because it's like that's what i work on and i would rather play you know giant high budget rpgs or whatever just something that's like has way more substance because mobile games while they can have depth in the gameplay it's just sometimes there's just limitations right right between your audience and just the device itself and for me in an augmented reality space there's really almost no like terrain or like background or just like world Mm. because a lot of it is just the camera so you really only ever have like a character on the screen and maybe a couple small props right like for the most part there's no art behind it um because the art is supposed to be your environment the world yeah right. um so i like playing games like like destiny right where it's just mm-hmm. like these outrageous set pieces that they make and right. there's just like this gigantic world so that's stuff that i like um and i yeah i find that i stray away from a lot of mobile games 
I wonder, I wonder if, and I don't even know if you, if you have an answer to this or know the answer, but I wonder if you might notice things in games that other people might not when you're playing them and be like, oh, that's something, you know, that's something really cool that's in there that, you know, some people might like people not involved in making games oh, might not notice. I or, do all the time. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Haley hates it when I critique games like Mario Odyssey or like Breath <laughs> of the Wild. And they're not like even bad critiques. They're just like, oh, I find it interesting. Like, you know, the way he interacts with his hat or something, right? right How they yeah. just be like, I, I don't know if you notice, but like if you run away from your hat, like he holds his hand out behind him as the hat flies towards him and he catches it oh, and his hand Depending on if the hat's on his left or the right, he'll use the other hand to catch it. So if huh. the hat's on his right, he'll use his right hand. If it's on his left, he uses left, and he and he will move his hand to the direction the hat is coming from, which is like super. This is what I my mean about it. Just feels natural. Right. Like you don't even notice because you're just like that's natural. But as a I've designer, you're like that, yeah. you're like. Damn, like that would be really annoying to program, right? <laughs> like that, that in particular is called inverse kinematics, and that is like for me, I've I've had to mess with that and stuff. And I, I use the full disclosure: the the main engine I use a hundred percent of the time at my current job is Unity, which is one of the biggest engines in the world now. Mm. Um, it's just an insane amount of developers use Unity. Um, so from from my experience with something like inverse kinematics, I'm like. That takes a lot of time to like get to look that natural, mm. um, and to get to look that right. So like, there's yeah, there's things I notice and appreciate around like, I'm like yeah, They're like yeah, and you know, H you know, Haley would be like, I didn't even notice. Like, who, who cares? And I'm like, but that's the point because if it wasn't there, yeah. it's just one little tiny thing. Or if it was done wrong, slightly off. Right. If it was yeah. done wrong and like his hand twists the wrong way, right? Like his hand like breaks backwards or something you're like oh that looks terrible yeah. and, but like they it doesn't it just works and that's you know oh, it's sort of yeah i'm almost jealous of that in a way yeah that, that you, you can, just notice something like, yeah because when i'm playing the games you know it's hard to to i mean when you're in the middle of it it's hard to to take that moment to yeah. say oh that was kind of it's a lot easier too when you're watching um right yeah. than sure, when yeah, you're playing sense, so yeah. something that i do like to do um, while I'm working, because I work from home, uh, is that I'll have on my other monitor like Twitch open, and I'll just watch different streamers play different games, and mm. that's when I can notice a lot of that stuff. Mm. Um, because I use it mainly for background noise, but there are times where I'll just look over and be like, I'll just like watch for like thirty seconds, and I'll notice something, and I'm like, I didn't even notice that when I was playing. <laughs> yeah, there's just things that you notice more when you're not playing, but yeah, there are also things that I when I play, I notice like, um. I, I notice that like um, specifically games that require like problem solving or like puzzle games or anything like that, um, and and I and I mean that from the perspective of like Uncharted as an as an example, right? right Where you're right, in like right. a temple and you need to figure out like I will solve it quicker than a lot of people that'll watch me or that I'll play with because like I'll think of it from a mechanical standpoint, mm. not like because like you know people are like maybe I can move this ball over there. And then I'm like, well, they haven't introduced like a ball moving mechanic where you can like roll it or anything. So like, it can't be that. So I immediately skip over that in my head. So like, I notice eh. I'll solve stuff faster. Cause I'd be like, mechanically speaking. Right. Yeah. Cause like I said, as a designer, you, you, you have to make it feel fluid and it has to be intelligent. So like most every game, they will introduce a mechanic to you 
either right before like they use it in a big way or like you'll you'll come back right and, and you'll be like oh wait i can do this thing now so like i said mario odyssey is a perfect example where they literally teach you in the last 10 minutes of the game a move that you knew from the beginning and you don't know as a player until you've learned it and then when you play it a second time you're like oh my god like i can do this move from literally world one so that's that's what i mean and how they you know they just sent you get taught intelligently how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've always come at it when there's like pu- like games with small puzzles like that. And I was like, they haven't taught me this yet. So that can't be the way to solve it. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I do notice tons of stuff that people probably don't notice or don't even care about mm. that are just like, you don't realize how annoying that was to develop. <laughs> like there's probably some poor engineer who spent an entire week on that <laughs> and you don't even notice. Right. Like, and he's probably still not happy with it. Right. And it still looks off to him. And then yeah. no one in the world will notice except him. <laughs> yep. I yep. have that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That kind of thing drives you nuts. So what? Um, I'm not sure how, how I want to word this, but so what was, what was the biggest, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having such a brain fart right now. Like I said, I got so many things bouncing right, in my right, head. Right. What, it, what, when you started actually learning all this stuff in school and stuff was there anything that was a big surprise to you about making Uh, video games or yeah that i wanted to be an engineer (laughs) (laughs) i went into college wanting to be what generally is referred to as a terrain artist which Mm. is basically you make the environment so you 3d model the trees and the bushes and then you build the the map out essentially mm. and that's what i wanted to do was terrain art i wanted to like build forests or like dungeons and caves and then when i i got there one of the classes we had to take um everyone had to program and i was like i found that the problem solving aspect was rewarding in like a weird way where you're like spending an hour like why won't this work and then you figure out what the problem was and you're like oh, oh. and it just felt so rewarding and I get that. On the other hand, I wasn't feeling anything like that when I was using like Maya and 3ds Max and a, a bunch of the popular like um, 3D modeling programs. I was just like, God, these things suck. Like these programs are so bloated. Like I will happily shit on Autodesk. <laughs> like like I, I've used all of their products and I've talked with like I have a bunch of friends, obviously, who are in the industry and just like they all hate like Maya and 3ds max and stuff, because they're just these old programs that have basically it's sort of that. Um, how do I put it? It's like Autodesk is essentially like trying to grab a monopoly. So what will happen is mm. they'll have their Maya program and then there'll be a competitor who has a cool feature and they'll buy out the competitor and then just smash the feature into Maya. That was cool. Mm. And then it doesn't work the same because, it, you know, they sort of ham fisted it in. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I quickly just was like, ah, oh, this isn't that fun. Like, it just it takes a lot of work to get something to look good in one of those programs. And I didn't feel much like satisfaction from like making a model. So then when I started programming and I was like, oh, this is interesting, like how, like how intelligently you can think about something and like like obviously every programmer the first thing you do is just like get it working but Mm -hmm. then where the satisfaction comes from is wait but how can i make this run better like more optimally um how can i make less calls right how can i use this update method less like what can i do and 
yeah, as I was like learning new and you know newer and newer things about the language. I mean, obviously, I'm still learning stuff all the time. Um, you're never not like there are some things that I've learned in the past couple months that's like I should have known like day one, but but like or like not should have known, but like if I knew that day one, I would be like, oh my god, this is so much easier, <laughs> right? Because like you write like thirty lines of code and then you realize that there's like way in the API somewhere buried is like one line of code that does exactly what you want. <laughs> And you're like, okay, well, I've been using 30 lines of code for like the past six months. And then I realized I could have been using one line. Uh, and, you know, but I still find that like way more satisfying to be like, hey, look, I made this feature or like this, you know, like this system that runs really efficiently. And my big thing, um, because we're using the same engine, you know, Unity all the time, I love if I get the opportunity where I find a system that I'm like, I could use this again. I go all out on that. So if it's just one, it's just like a one-time system where it's just like, I don't even know an example. Um, I don't have an example off the top of my head, but like, it's a system that you're like, it'll only be used in this game and it's only used for a short amount of time. It's really not worth putting that much investment into it. I'll just get it out. Like just make sure it works and right, has minimal right, yeah. bugs. And that's what I'll do. But if it's a system where like, for example, the, it's like a, it's either the last game we've released or the one before that where it was basically just like a challenge system or like a, basically like a pseudo achievement. So it's like, oh, if you win 10 battles, you get 100 gold. And then like there's like tiers to it. So mm. there's like bronze, silver, gold. That system I went like 140% in and we've now used it on like three other projects because I made it in a generic oh, nice. in a way yeah. that you can just take it. You can turn it into a unity package and then basically you literally just hit import package and it'll just like drop the files in there mm. and then you can just start hooking the system up and it like immediately works um and i've done that with a couple things like with the current company about like the ui system um where all of the, how all of our ui menus and whatnot talk to each other i was like all right i'm going 150 percent because every game uses ui might as well take the time sure, sure um, yeah so yeah that that is one of the biggest most satisfying things for me is like developing a system that's generic enough that I can import it into any project I want and I don't have to worry about building it again. Mm. Um, and then obviously like, you know, everyone does when you iterate on it, you, the second time you bring it in, you're like, Oh, it'd be useful to, for it to be able to do this. So then, you know, version two, uh, essentially by the end of the other project, it's version two and now it's better than before. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so that's that's one of the most satisfying things about it for me is the finding a system that I was like, I can make generic and then use again. Um, and it makes my future life easier as well, which is the other nice part, because I don't have to write it again or I don't have to write a different version of it. Right. That's um, definitely a plus. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that, that's that's one of the big draws for me when it comes to programming is it's is it's I know it sounds terrible, but it's it's fun to bug fix like like problems that you fundamentally are like why is this not working and, and if you're spending five hours and you literally can't figure out why then it's annoying but if you're just like someone reports a bug and you're like oh i think i know what the problem is and then when you you know you break point through it and you're like okay yeah no i think i figured it out and then you fix it like that's rewarding to me i don't know why well um, in a way in a way that you could simplify that and and kind of say that's like when you play a video game and if you're stuck on a part and you can't figure out why, and then, and then all of a sudden it just comes to you, it dawns on you. Yeah. yeah. Usually when you're not actually playing the game, but you're like, Oh, I know what I should have tried. And right. Yeah. No, it's, it's problem solving. Right. right? Is, yeah. is why it feels, 
satisfying. Um, I didn't fart. Just FYI, I don't know if you could hear that. On I the don't microphone. know if the mic picked it up. Anyway. Okay, was it? <laughs> the chair moved. It sounded Chams. like a fart. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I find it yeah satisfying because it's the or rewarding, which is why I like to come back. And that almost works as a detriment to me sometimes, where I'm like working on a system, or there's like a bug that I haven't fixed yet, and I like like I should be done for the day, but I'm mm. like, no, nah, I'm just gonna spend an extra half an hour like <laughs> filling this out or whatever. Um, and yeah, and, and as weird as it sounds too, like I, as there are, are many days in the week where I will finish work and then I'll immediately start working on a different solo project that I'm just like, cause like I'll, I'll get an idea. Cause one of the things that I don't get to really flex at my current job are like the design side of my skills. Mm. Um, most of what I do, most of what my company does is, you know, pretty much almost exclusively client-based work. So the client will get back to my boss and they'll be like, we want the game to do this. And then my boss will be like, okay. And he'll say to me, mm. I want the game to do this. And then I make the game do that. Um, and there are a lot of times when I'm sure anyone who does client-based work will feel the pain of <laughs> the client making an objectively bad decision. And uh, you just have to deal with it because... Yeah they think that's what's right. And you're like, this makes no sense. And they're like, <laughs> it's fine. And you're like, okay. Cause like, this is objectively bad, but fine. So yeah, there are products I have released where there are things about it that I'm just like, objectively like, no, this is bad. Like, don't blame me though. Yeah. Like it, it, it runs smoothly, like from a programming standpoint, but like, oh yeah, it makes no sense as a mechanic or as like a user interface flow. Like it, yeah, I understand that this really important feature is buried six menus deep, <laughs> but like that's not my decision. That was the client, and and like, but that's gonna just a little bit drive you nuts that that that, that game's out there, and and oh, absolutely. And Which is why I then, when I'm done work, I then go and work on a solo project where every decision is my choice, and right, the game right. is crafted exactly how I want it to be. Um, and most of the time, I never finish the ideas or even get them out there because it's not like. I'm like, oh, this is bad. It's just like, I've lost interest. Like, I've spent like 20 sure. hours on this project. And I'm like, it's fun. But like, I just, I don't feel like developing it further. Well, there is something to be said just just for the actual process of doing it. Even if you don't end up, you know, it's like, it's like, basically it's the same with any kind of, of uh, art or anything. Right. You know, sometimes I'll write a story. I don't intend to do anything right. with it. I just it was in my head, had to get it out. Right. You just want to throw it out. And right. Maybe I hate it afterwards, but you know, right. it's out right. of my head. And I've least. had a few of those where I've like made the game and I'm like, "Oh, this isn't fun." <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> this is not fun. But but you never know where that could become something else. Right. And I use it as a framework. Right. And you're right. like, "I had this shitty idea, but I think I can make it better, right? <laughs> or it might it might work in this particular setting, right? And yeah, right. Um, yeah. So so you could understandably, you know, Haley would be. It gets a little like she comes in like, do you want to like watch TV? And I'd be like, oh, hold on, I'm almost done, right? And it'll be like nine o'clock, and I'm still on the computer, and it's the weirdest thing. So I've set up my computer in a way since I work from home where I have two user profiles, one is exclusively work and one is exclusively for like playing games mm. or doing personal projects. So like they're different logins, different passwords, different desktops, different layouts. Like it's completely, they just are completely separate. And that helps me get from the, 
the work to like play mood. So like I'll finish work, I'll log out, I'll get up, I'll get a drink, like I'll go talk for like five, ten minutes, I'll play with the dogs for a couple minutes, and then I sit back down and then I log into the other screen and it's like a completely different world, right? Like I I've like reset my brain. Right, sure. Um so yeah, I yeah, that that's what's kind of nice about being able to do a solo project is I get every creative decision. And if it's bad, then I know that it's on my fault. And then I need to like adapt to what I do. Mm. So like, I'll send it to a friend and be like, can you play this? Tell me if this is garbage. And they'll be like, okay. And then they'll be like, no, it's fun. I just would like change this. And I'm like, but why? And they're like, well, like it doesn't work or like, you know, it's too hard, you know, especially this early in the game. Like that's a little difficult to ask of the player. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. So then I'll like go and, and alliterate, but like, those will be my decisions. And it's not infuriating, unlike having a client where you're like, are you sure you want to bury that six menus deep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, people are going to complain. Uh, and on the one hand, that is a little, is a little like vindicating when I sometimes will go onto the app store pages for some of the apps and I'll look at the reviews <laughs> and some of them will mention like something that I know is bad. And they'll be like, I just wish this was different. And it's like, me too. Me too, yeah, you son. Get, you get a little. I made like, this I game. told you, but yeah, I told you so. <laughs> but yeah, and then you wonder why, why, why are you so insistent on doing that? If I've told you it's bad, and because oh my god, I don't know if it's because I'm younger than them, or if it's because they just think they like I don't know, but they think they know what's better. Mm. Like I like like I, I even have to say it to my boss all the time, where where he'll be like make it this way. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense to build the system that way. Mm. I'm going to build it this way. And it's just like, you got to trust me. Like, I know what I'm doing. Right. right? Yeah. Like, that's why you hired me. So it's that same kind of mindset with the creative decisions, which is like, you hired my company to make this game for you. Have the faith that I am a better designer than you are. That's why you hired me right, yeah. to make this game for you is because I know how to do it and you don't. This is what so, we do. So. Right. So it's like, if this decision you're making objectively makes no sense in my mind and is objectively bad move like just just shut up and listen like i don't know how else to put it i understand you're paying me but like shut up and let me do it like i'll do it the right way i promise it'll come out better than whatever you're probably your your original intention was um but yeah um yeah and, and if people cared about the specifics of what like generally speaking if i had to group them all into like a like two camps of like the decisions it's either they overestimate the intelligence of the player or they underestimate the intelligence of the player mm. where there are times where they'll like completely and, and like it's usually in a user interface environment um so like i'll give a little detail um the game isn't released yet so technically it's still under nda but there was a feature where um <clears throat> what you what you did as a player and what you use, what items you use and what stuff you put in to this battle, which are, you know, unique instances would change a number of like, like a damage number. And the client didn't want to update that number. And, and I was like trying to tell them, like, you, you realize that like I have the capability to like do the math behind the scenes. So the user gets the final product. And they were like, no, 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 they'll just do the math themselves. Like they'll take, this number and this number and they'll add it and that'll be the final damage number. And I'm like, or I can just display the final damage number, right? I can do the math behind the scenes so the user don't have to worry about that. And that's what I mean. Or it's just like, they think 
one way. And the reason is they came, they come from a physical game aspect. Mm. So think like, I guess what I can use, what I can use as an example is Magic the Gathering as a card game, you know, all the math is done mentally in your brain. Right. right. But in Hearthstone, which is a digital card game, Mm -hmm. all of that math is just done automatically. So when you're you right, right when your creature gets plus five to his damage the number just ticks up and becomes green right like it's white text and it says five and then when you get plus five damage it becomes 10 and it's green and it's larger and it's more obvious that like hey this is a buff and like that was kind of their mindset was they were coming from the magic the gathering mindset where they're like oh it's all mental math i'm like no no no, i can make it visual and make it automated right, so the right. user doesn't have to do that math and that's just like sometimes it's just creative decisions like that where you're just like to the client usually you don't understand like what you're doing like it makes no sense to do it this way when you can do it that way right um but yeah oh yeah that, that's my uh current situation with like my creative struggles with clients of just like trying to convince them like i don't mean to be rude but like you're wrong <laughs> like i'm right trust me <laughs> well you know that's the tough part of the job unfortunately right or one of the tough parts i'm sure there are other tough parts but yeah, I mean, as an engineer, I guess my t- the toughest part to me would be, and, and this is more of like a product of, you know, who your boss hires, but like mm. there are constantly times when I am like have to explain something to like an artist of like, here's why you can't do this. Like, mm. here's why you can't give me this two million polygon model <laughs> or something outrageous, right? Because it's like, you know, because... My company is pretty small, and I think there's only like 15 full-time people. So we Mm. do a lot of contract work, especially if the project's small. Like, my boss will just, like, hire a contract for, like, oh, make these six models, and then give them back to us. And, like, that's it. Right, right. We don't need, like, an in-house guy to do this or whatever. Um, He'll get back. Like, he'll hire someone, and that guy will come back with a model, and it's got, like, 400,000 polygons. I'm like, dude, this is a mobile game. Like you got to be like 40,000 max, right? Like you got to like lower the, you got to lower the fidelity of the model. Um, but that's not even really inferior. It's just like, I I've learned, you know, at, at when I first hired, got hired there, that, that was one of the most infuriating things was dealing with other people like that, where it's just like, like, how do I tell them? And then I just got to the point where I was like, I'll just tell them like, yeah. this doesn't work. Like you're going to have to change it. And they'd be like, why? And I'd be like, you can't do it because I, it's just not how this works. Um, so it's not as a big problem anymore, but yeah, the main problem is, is basically just like having to make something that sometimes you're just like, I don't like this. Like, this is bad. Yeah. Um, and I don't even mean like the content, right? Like if you make a game of like something you're not interested in, that still doesn't, that's not what gets me interested. It's the gameplay mechanics, right? So like you could have, and I have not made this, but like, if a client was like, let's make a unicorn game, right? For like eight year old girls, like the gameplay mechanics behind it is what is interesting to me. I don't care if it's, it's what kind of skin it has layered over it. Right. Right. Um, so for me, it's always the creative decisions of like, Hey, why would you do that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, please don't make me program this. And then they'll be like, yes, this is what we want. And I'll just be like, ah, but yeah. And a little, a little, a little piece of your heart. Get stabbed out. A little bit of it dies inside, and I go, "Oh my god!" I wish I, I wish you gave me creative director control so I can just make it better. I, I swear I could make it better. But and I know it's not always easy to do. But after it's after you're done with it, you can at least let it go and 
Right. Right. And try to let it go. If it's something that I really didn't like, like I'll just pretend it doesn't exist. Right. Like I just won't put it on my resume. I didn't have anything to do with that. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, like there are times like I, I can sort of talk about this one. Um, I did, well, me and my company did work for Bose. Um, so Bose, they're releasing, um, the, which they gave us a pair is there are these Bose frames, um, which is their sunglasses, but they have speakers in them. and like you can play music through the Bluetooth and whatnot, but, mm-hmm. but the more important feature behind it <clears throat> is what they call Bose AR, which is, it's an accelerometer, a gyroscope and a magnetometer in the glasses. So what you can do is when you turn your head, like a game will be able, basically in essence, be able to give you spatial audio. So it'll be able to have oh. a creature on your right. And when you turn your head to the left, it's behind you. Right. 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 So like it's spatial huh. audio. So you can turn to face it. And then the, audio is coming in front of you and their goal is to get that across all of their headphone product that's cool um, which is why they put so much investment into it is because it's like this is the example hardware mm-hmm. on the glasses but they're like just imagine this on all of our headphones and headsets and whatnot um <clears throat> but the thing was is the the project they did was a game jam so you had to 48 hours to make the game Oof. and <clears throat> the hardest thing for me was like the, like the game runs like garbage, right? Cause like it's thrown together. It's a jam, right? right. It's a hackathon. It's, you throw it together and literally under 48 hours. But like, I, I like, I want to show people cause I'm like, look how cool this is. And then like, on the other hand, I'm like, but don't mind how garbage it <laughs> kind of is. Cause like, we didn't really get much time. So like, it doesn't run very well. And like the concept's solid, right. but like the, the execution is like, yes, I understand it bugs out sometimes. And yes, the sound gets a little messed up sometimes, but like, I, I swear. And you know, it's, that's one of the things that I struggle with is like trying to show people like, Hey, this is cool, but also like totally broken. (laughs) (laughs) So do do you have, I know there's a lot, there's, there's always a lot of talking in in the gaming industry of um, problems with deadlines and things Mm -hmm. like that. Do you, do you find issues with that sometimes? Crunch is a problem, especially. Yes. Yeah. Crunch is a problem, especially in the client world because, Mm. I mean, you think of it this way, basically, if you get the job, you're basically the biggest jabroni, right? Because like, it's the nicest way I can put it is like, because what happens is a company comes to your client and says, I can make this game in 30 weeks on this budget. And then your company comes and says, I can make it in 26 weeks on this budget. Right. And then they're like, okay. And then they hire you. And then you're like, wait, I have to make this game in 26 weeks. Right. <laughs> so that happens all the time. Um, I thankfully help, you know, I help myself curb it by, um, I'll just pick like a day a week if, if it needs to happen where I'll be like, all right, I'm just going to work till like 10 PM. Mm-hmm. And then like the rest of my week, I'll still be able to get out, out of like a reasonable time. But yeah, uh, the client-based world crunch is almost inevitable mm. because the mere fact that you're working on the project meant that you underbid somebody. And that that's generally the, it's not the cost that is underbid. It's the time where right? you can say, I can make it in this act, you know, this many weeks less. Right. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, crunch is definitely a problem, but I also, I don't have to suffer a ton because of what I mainly do. So the, the way my company sort of is structured is we have an engineer who will get the prototype out in like X amount of week. Mm-hmm. I'm more of like the cleanup guy. So like when a lot of the main core gameplay systems are in place, I'll come in and I'll finish the game. 
I'll right. make it look nice. I'll make it, I'll make other things run well. I'll add a lot of the the non-core gameplay elements, like I said, like that challenge system for an example. Mm. Um, I'll sort of like finish the project essentially, um, and that surprisingly is a lighter. The deadline is less scary than the prototype deadline um, because for most clients you're you're paid by deliverable. Um, so because I'm just an employee of the company, I'm just paid like weekly or bi-weekly, right? I'm just paid on a set salary. But when you get money from the client, it's generally by deliverable. So it's like if you give us or like we will pay you after you hand in the prototype or after you hand in the alpha or after you hand in the beta. So when you get close to those deadlines, they're scary. But usually the scariest, at least for me personally, is always like hitting the prototype deadline. Because again, my perfectionist in me is like, this isn't work like I want to. I don't want to hand it in yet. And they're right. like, well, you have to, because that's how you get money, right? You have to hand in the prototype. Um, so I like working on the cleanup where I can I can refine on the systems and make them run better and look nicer. Um, and yeah, there are still deadlines, but like I said, like it's I'm a lot more satisfied handing in a more finished product than handing in the prototype. Sure, sure. Um, so is it is it <laughs> Is it, is that like other fields where you would give, like, do you have drafts basically? Like you would give the client a first draft and they would maybe make some notes or is it, or is that a whole different kind of thing? Um, so when you get the project, you usually have your game design document, which most of it's already laid out. Like a majority of the game is already laid out mm. and you know the general path you're going to take. So then you say, okay, what needs to get done first for the prototype? And that's usually all the core gameplay elements. And then when you get that in, that's usually the only time like a massive change will happen where the client would be like, this does not work in practice. Let's scrap it and restart this, this particular. Um, And you'll be like, okay. So then the, prototype to alpha is where a lot of the biggest changes will happen but yeah once you get past alpha it's there's very few times where they'll be like they'll make say like make this change it's usually just like continue adding features Mm. continue optimizing continue bug fixing um yeah there's not a like unfortunately which which i don't think there's enough of but i don't think there's enough in my current company of iteration right Mm. which is what I think would make products way better. But again, you're in that client based, like competitive time saving environment. So it's just like, get the feature out there, get it done. Um, That's not to say it's bad. Like the stuff comes out. That's bad. It's just like, no, sure. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I would like to continue iterating on this gameplay feature. Cause I think that you could get way more out of the gameplay feature if we iterated on it. But the client is just like, no, what you did is fine. Like it, it's just what we wanted. So, and you're like, okay, it could be better and they're like no it's fine um but yeah there's not a ton of like major changes it's usually and this is the other thing with clients uh which i will like again i'll fully disclose i hate clients because they're usually never right is they are always always expecting like the final version when you first get it so they'll be like you'll get like the combat system in and they'll be like they'll be like why aren't all the abilities in all the moves in and you're like well that like i have to make those right like like <laughs> that takes time so like like you know or the like the ui won't do like 
it won't be like an animated effect. Like the button will just appear. Mm-hmm. It won't like grow into the screen or oh, it won't right, like, yeah. sh- like fade in or like shimmer with like particles. It'll just like appear. And they'd be like, can we make that look better? And it's like, obviously we're going to make that look better. Like <laughs> this is <laughs> alpha one. Like just, just, it works. Like just shut up and let it, just let it work. Um, that's yeah, that's the only other main thing about clients is they, some of them do completely understand, right? Some of them even come from like that design background, mm-hmm. but a lot of the time it's like you're interacting with like the producer side. So they just expect the final product. Right. They don't understand that like it takes time to develop things or like you have to iterate on stuff. Like, like for it, usually for me, the most annoying things that changes all the time is user interface. Um, because they won't realize when something isn't, or doesn't flow correctly right and like what they don't realize is like i'm i, I don't want to give them the final version of the user user interface because i know it's gonna it's gonna change it's mm. so like what i mean by that is like you know when they complain that this button doesn't look pretty it's like well you need to figure out if that button should even be there All right right like if it's not intuitive to have the button there why am i gonna waste my time making it look pretty right if it's just when it could away. move Right. And and uh, we've had problems with clients where they've been like, no, it's fine. And then like a week before we're supposed to go gold, like they'll be like, Ugh. we need this whole thing changed. And Ugh. it's just like, oh, my God, I hate you. <laughs> like, like I told well, you this in alpha that this this menu system didn't make sense. And now you're telling me now that it doesn't make sense. That answers the question I was wondering about. Right. So they do sometimes do that, make changes in the middle. Right. So like, it's almost never core gameplay. Mm. It's always that like tertiary stuff. Like, you know, the, like, you know, an example would be like the settings menu, Mm. right. Where they're like, I don't think this button should be in this menu. And it's like, I told you that months ago, it shouldn't be in this menu, (laughs) but now you made me make it look pretty. So now I have a pretty button that's not supposed to go there that needs to go somewhere else. But at least it's pretty. Right. But at least it's pretty. Um, yeah. No, like they'll, they'll, we'll, they'll never change like core mm. gameplay stuff. Um, that's good at least. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, most of the changes, like there are times too where they'll be like, I hope this isn't too big. And you'd be like, oh, actually, it's not really like it sounds big, like a major UI reflow mm. of like the way. Like, an example, one game we had where, because this is AR, when you hit play, you would place a creature down, and then the menu was, was like, happened while you were interacting with the creature. And they're like, we want to get rid of that. Just, you hit play, and it goes to, like, a main menu, like any other game would. Mm. And they were like, I hope that's not too much. And it's like, actually, no, that makes my life easier. <laughs> um, And it makes more sense. But anyway, yeah, like, there's almost never a giant change. It's just small stuff. Or, like, like I said, stuff that they'll ask change that's, like, super like hyper focus they'd be like this color is wrong it's like okay like we're an alpha you don't need to worry about if this button is green and it should be blue right like that's what i mean that's a lot of client feedback but um one of the worst things i love i love telling people the things that i hate about my job is uh I love my job. Don't get me wrong. Everybody but, hates, but everybody has things. They yeah. Hate. One of the most annoying things. And, um, I will advocate the death of it until I die is there are these things that exist called QA mills, right? Where QA testing quality assurance mm-hmm. is basically just a gameplay. You just have someone playing the game 
looking for bugs and looking for problems. Right. Well, a lot of we have a full time QA tester on our team, and he's one of the most important members of our team because while we're busy developing the game, we don't really get that much time to test how we can break it in a billion different ways. Right. And that's what his job is. And he'll say, hey, I broke this six different ways. And you're like, okay, cool. So some clients, as you get closer to uh, finishing the product, is they will hire what what's called a QA mill, which are these outside QA studios that are hired by the company to just test the game. Mm. But the problem is <clears throat> these guys are paid by the bug report. So uh. they will fill my Jira list with garbage. Mm. Like there was one time where the one game I was working on required an internet connection. And a guy was like, posted a bug saying like, uh, I'm getting this pop up for having a bad internet connection uh, when I'm not supposed to. And I was like, no, that pop up is there because you have a bad internet connection. It was, he was getting it in a menu that like he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. Or or he thought he wasn't supposed to. (laughs) He's like, this weird pop-up keeps appearing. And I'm like, it's telling you you have a bad internet connection. <laughs> um, and he'd file a bug for that. Or like, there was one time where, like, it happened, or more than once, all the time, I'll get a bug where it's something messed up for like, literally one frame. <laughs> like, there was an example of like, uh, when you switched between two UI menus, um, the screen flickered black for one frame as the one UI shut off and mm-hmm. the other one turned on. And it was one frame of a black screen. And he gave me a bug report for that. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> so then I have to spend time fixing it. Cause like, I, I don't want to just, you know, the, again, the kind of inner perfectionist to in me doesn't want to leave a swim lane, which in Jira, right. You have like, you have these cards that are a bunch of tasks or bugs and there's the to-do list, there's the in progress, and then there's the fix to check and then there's done. Mm. So what I do is, is I'll take it out of to-do, I'll put it in in progress as I'm working on it. And then when I'm done with it, I'll put it in a fix to check. And then in fix to check, my QA tester will make sure it like it's actually fixed or it's actually implemented and he'll put it in the done tab. I hate having like 70 tasks in my to-do list that are like complete garbage that are like one frame of black. This is a bug. And and, like, they're also because they're paid by the bug. They half-ass a lot of like their, their um, descriptions of the bugs. So like there was one time where there was like, Oh, this thing happens, blah, 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 reproducible five out of five times. And then I spent three hours not able to reproduce the bug that they were talking about. And then I found out that it only happens in one specific instance. And I was like, this is not a five out of five reproducible bug. Like no one's going to reproduce. Literally no one is going to have this happen. One in a hundred thousand users are going to have this bug. And all you have to do is hit the back button and the bug goes away. So it's like, it's not even like a critical bug, but I wasted three hours trying to fix it. Um, But yeah, that, that happened. That's, that is the worst part. And not every client does it, obviously, but like the clients that do do it, like as soon as I hear like, oh, yeah, there's a QA mill like they, they hired. I'm just, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, why? It's such a waste of my time. But I know like that when you just described the one where it goes black for one frame, nobody, nobody playing the game would ever notice that. Oh, no. My favorite bug. Oh, my God. My favorite QA uh- mill bug that I just remembered. <sighs> the so augmented reality as you would assume works best on newer devices sure generally ar kit or ar core enabled devices which is all the newer iphones and newer androids 
but we use uh, a plugin that allows that allows AR to work on older devices that aren't AR kit or AR core enabled. But that said, there are still a lot of restrictions. So for the app in particular, I was thinking about the minimum iOS requirement was nine. Mm. And the guy reports a bug saying the game completely breaks when you enter AR mode. And the bug report he he posted as his device was an iPad two running iOS (laughs) seven. And I was like, that's, under our minimum requirements like you physically can't even download it on the app store because how the app store works is it will just if your device doesn't meet the minimum requirements it's just the app doesn't appear right or it says like you can't download this or something right or like yeah. you don't meet minimum requirements so i'm like you're you're only testing it because you got like a like a debug build so you don't you didn't buy it you didn't download it through the app store we handed you like the file essentially so i'm like you're not even supposed to be running it on that device because it's less than the minimum requirement like why are you even making this bug uh, the answer is he just wants to get paid so he's like you know what i'll go on a on an ipad 2 which came out like 2011 or 2010 <laughs> literally like a 9 year old device and he's running it on like at this point four or five ios versions below the current one because currently it's iOS 12 is the latest. Yeah. And they're on 7, which, by the way, if anyone is an iOS nerd, iOS 7 was the iOS that they completely revamped the UI. They overhauled the their whole user interface system. Mm. Uh, that was like their biggest thing. They're like, our biggest change yet. That's when they changed from like that slide button to unlock the lock screen to like you swipe up or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like I was like, dude, you're literally like on like five iOS versions older, and you're trying to. He gave me like eight bugs, like this breaks, this breaks, and this breaks. It's like, well, that's below our minimum requirement, so I'm not even wasting my time with these. So I just threw them into the done tab. So I was just like, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, really. But um, yeah, the, I death to all QA mills. That's all I can say. Um, it's incredibly annoying. But yeah, that that. that like I said, all in all, like clients, yeah, they suck, but it's, it's, they're not like, they're not objectively bad like that. Like they just make decisions that you as a designer question. It's not their right. fault, but like QA mills. Yeah. Like it's their fault. Like they <laughs> suck. Right. Like don't pay someone to report. Like it just goes against the fundamentals of what QA testing should be. Yeah. Right. Like, like it's quality assurance. You shouldn't be hunting, wasting your time for like stupid. Bugs right. Like and, and like, like I said, like you'll get like, like the current project that we currently have a QA mill on working on all of their bugs don't get past the main menu. And there are bugs I know that exist in the core gameplay aspect of the game, but they never report them. And, and I, I will get to fixing them because like, I know they're there, but it's just like, it's weird that they haven't even reported it because mm. it's like, that tells me you don't even get out of the main menu. Like you, yeah. you find a bunch of dumb garbage bugs in the main menu and then you're like, all right. And then you close the app and move on for the day. I made my quota. So. Right. It's like, you're not even playing the game. You're just finding like one black, like one frame of just black screen. And then you're reporting it. Yeah. That, yeah. I don't, I don't understand the point of things like that. Cause it's, it, it's like, what is the, you know? Yeah. Like I said, it goes against the fundamentals of what QA testing should be. Exactly. If, if instead of trying to play the game, and yes, you're trying to break it, but like you're not trying to find such small inconsistencies that either a no one will notice or b no one will care about. Yeah. Like no one will care if there's one frame of a black screen. Nobody, yeah, no, literally one frame. There, the game runs at sixty frames a second. That means there's fifty nine other frames in that <laughs> one second 
that are going to have something on it. Like, I guarantee you will never see anybody complain about, no. oh, one frame of black. Oh, my God. Like, oh, <laughs> I can't get my frame perfect jump. It's like, no, it's not. It's a menu. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, They're the worst. They're, QA mills, the worst. Um, But, yeah, that's unfortunately kind of the state of, like, how that client-based work goes. Mm. Is they think, I mean, you think of it. From your client's perspective, this is like, it's a great idea. It's like, oh, we don't need to hire a QA for our own thing. We'll just hire an outside group to do it. And they're cheap and they get lots of bugs out. And it's like on the real, you know, to the client, they think, oh, they find lots of bugs and get them fixed. But in reality, it's like, no, you're wasting my time. Well, that, yeah, Uh, that's the the old um, quantity versus quality thing. Right. I would rather have you find quality bugs that are going to break the game. Then find one that that messes something up for like one frame. And That's so stupid. Weird. Nobody right. would even care. Right. But then, but like you said, the, they're looking at it like, oh, look at all they, you know, they find all these bugs, so they're doing a great job and all that. But they're right. not. Right. And then you don't even, you know, because they don't pay enough attention as a client, they don't realize ninety five percent of these bugs don't get past the main menu. Right. Right. Or like the menu systems, because it's just like they, they like they, they. That's it. They find six bugs in that and they're like, all right, I'm moving on to the next thing. Cause you know, I'm assuming as the person working here, you have multiple games a day that mm-hmm. you're supposed to test. But yeah, there are bugs where like, it's like not even like hard to reproduce like in the combat that I'm like, I know this exists. Like all you have to do is just play the game and you'll eventually see it. And none of them have reported that. So yeah, I hate QA mills um, yeah. quality over quantity. People, if you're going to QA test, quality it's in the name right quality assurance <laughs> not quantity assurance <laughs> make sure i'm going to assure you that i'm going to find 80 different bugs that don't matter mm. yeah that you will have to waste your time I wait, yeah. it's, it's all a waste of time i spent the other day Ooh, i spent four hours programming or fixing an a very what is they're what we call them edge case bugs where there are bugs that you will only find in like the most specific of instances. Mm. So the example was it was only iOS devices, iPhones on the A9X chip or above. So basically what that means is the iPhone 10 or higher, the 10, 10R, 10S, whatever. It was a bug where if you're in the AR mode and you put the phone to sleep or you, you, go out of it or you pull your notification bar down or whatever. If you put the app in the background, if it mm-hmm. loses focus for 10 seconds or more, and then you come back, this one thing disappears <laughs> and, and you're, you need that button to continue, but the button goes away and it's like, yeah, it kind of breaks the game. But on the other hand, it's actually more specific than I said. It's, it's not, it's the newest iPhones. If you, put the game out of focus for 10 plus seconds, but it's only if you pull the notification bar down. So if you pull from the top of the screen, Mm. if you go home or just shut the phone off, it doesn't happen. It's only when you pull the notification bar. So it's like that only happens how often and like the, to, to be specific, this menu, it's a continue button. It's really only going to be up there on the screen for like five seconds Mm. because you finish the combat and then you hit continue, and then you continue on with the day, right? right? Or the app or the program. So it's a button that's generally on average on screen for about five seconds. So it's like, how often is someone going to pull down the notification window on an iPhone 10 or 10R or 10S or whatever and leave it instance, there for 10 seconds right. 
and then come back to the app immediately. How often is that going to happen? Yeah, probably never. Considering it's it's five seconds, it's on screen. The odds are slim to none. Right, yeah. and, and and on the other hand, the worst case, they just close the app and then restart. Right, right. they just like swipe it out of view, or, or you know, however you bring up the app and then you swipe up and it like terminates the app. Um, that's all you got to do. Fix it. You just terminate the app, restart the app. It's fine. Mm. Like it's fixed. So it's just like, yeah, I wasted four hours programming this complete edge case that will probably be seen one in like 100,000 play sessions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know I got really specific there, but like I said, that just a test. Like is it just, it points to like how stupid some of those edge cases are that like, like are, are existing, like existing games now. Like, 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 a perfect example is there was a bug recently in Grand Theft Auto 5's online mode, right? Mm-hmm. GTA Online, where if you called to get uh, a, like a plane delivered to you, because like you know it's online, you can just like call this number and they'll like drop a plane off that you can just fly wherever, right? right? It's just sort of the thing they do. Um, if you called to get the plane, but then blocked where the plane would land, the plane despawns and you get refunded. But they found out if you did it while like standing in this very specific spot, you'll just keep getting refunded like just oh, forever. You right. just get like two thousand dollars every like two seconds just forever. And then people <laughs> were racking up millions of dollars in the online mode. And like that bug existed since the game came out because no one found it until literally like last month. Right. And the game came out 2014, 2013. Yes, yeah, I think like it came yeah. out like five, six years ago. So that bug has been in the game for like six years. <laughs> but I, I bet you if they got that damn QA mill on it, that QA mill would have found it. They would have found yeah, the no dumbest kidding, right? edge case bug. But that's <laughs> what I mean. That's an edge case bug. That is, if you stand in this one spot and do this one activity right. and make this one thing happen, the game bugs out and you get infinite money. That's but like, like the, it um, took six years for people who were actively hunting for bugs. That's like the gold, it. the gold bug in uh in red dead redemption 2 was there one of those similar yeah in the the multiplayer mode it was no it's in single player but there there's there was i don't know if they fixed it or not but there was a bug where you go to a certain spot in this burnt out town and you find a certain box um and there's there's a there's i can't remember the exact there's like an item and then there's a gold bar and if I don't know how they how I don't know how this got figured out, but if you if you click the button to pick up the item and then you like pause the screen and back out of it and then go back in or something. I don't remember the right, exact I did it, but I don't remember the exact details. But anyway, you would have unlimited gold bars. Right, you just keep getting them. You just keep getting the gold right, bars. Right, right. You and, pick and, it up another one. Yeah. Yeah. And generally those things are easy to fix as a designer because you're like, oh, I know exactly what's happening. Mm. Right. This function is getting called which award you the gold bars, but because you opened the menu system, it stops the function from, from deleting the bar or whatever, right? right? Like it's something like that. So, and like yeah. you, you can, they're usually really easy to fix, but like they are cases you never think of. Right? right. And that's why I would call it an edge case. Right. And that's why no one probably found it because it, like you have to be actively searching to find something like that. Right. Like like GTA online and the Red Dead Online in particular, the most obvious like as a I was a QA lead, the thing that I would always tell people to go for first is find every bug you can related to refunding. Mm. Right? So that's how the bug in GTA Online appeared was 
if the plane can't spawn, you're refunded the money you just paid to buy it, right? right. You pay $2,000 and they'll drop a plane off on top of you. But if it can't reach there, they refund you the 2K. Um, so I would say every time you get refunded money, bug test the living hell out of that. Because mm. that's usually the exploit people go for, right? You need right. to know what people want to exploit. So I could guarantee you in a game like that where money is valuable, they're going to find every bug they can that is related to refunding, mm-hmm. right? Specifically the act of giving the player money back or giving the player money. Like that's where you want to bug test. Right. And that's where QA mills are bad because they don't do that. They just bug test other garbage. No one cares about like, Oh, my player's hand clipped through the table. Right. And it's like, <laughs> now you're allotting resources in QA to find that bug, but now you're allotting time on the development side to fix that bug. When in reality, you could be looking for a bug that's way more harmful than a hand sticking through a table. Right. That bug is your players are getting millions of dollars like every hour because they found this exploit with a refunding. And then, you know, because that's what happened with the red dead one where the word is going to spread. Right. And everybody's going to start doing it. Right. GTA, they handled it by um, fixing the way money was refunded to you. And then people found that once that gate was opened and they found, oh, wait, if you cause, you know, the thing to bug out and not spawn the plane, and get your money back. How else can you get your money back? And then they found within six hours of them fixing that first bug, they found another bug exactly the same way. Right. You just purchased a different item at a different location. Mm-hmm. So then Rockstar finally handled it by just like, OK, well, you don't get refunded now like there is no refund so if you pay the two grand to get the plane and you don't get the plane sorry that's how they handled it um well i and and i mean sometimes that's the kind of thing you have to do right because like i said i guarantee you they had a qa mill testing (laughs) well i don't know rockstar's big enough they probably have a full dedicated team but that's what i mean is like you need to that's what the quality is And, and that's what i mean more of like not the quality of the game. It's the quality of your bug hunting. Mm. Like what is important for you to fix? Right. Not a hand clipping through a table. That's not important. Not trying to find as many bugs as you can. Right. Trying to find the important ones, bugs. Right. The ones that either hinder the user experience or they circumvent the core gameplay loop of the game. Right. Right. The core gameplay loop of GTA Online is to like run missions and do heists and get lots of money so you can buy lots of cool stuff. The other reason that was a really bad bug for them is a lot of the way they make their money is through shark cards, which are like basically these you pay 10 real dollars and then you'll get like 100,000 GTA dollars or whatever. Right. Right? It's just like their microtransaction system. Mm-hmm. So if all of a sudden people are getting millions of dollars and they're not paying you for it, like they were yep. like, oh, so <laughs> that's what I'm saying. As like a QA lead, that's that's where you I would focus all of my efforts. It's yes, like not exactly. in the hand clipping through, but in how can players circumvent our systems um and that's unfortunately what not what qa mills do mm. so that's the struggle that i deal with is like dealing with garbage bugs instead of important ones <laughs> and i know that in that game that they're testing right now that there are game crippling bugs that i don't know about uh, but i'll probably never find them because no one is searching for them like i'm not because i'm too busy fixing their dumb bugs to even play test it myself and then if they if they get found by by a player that's that's the problem right. is then if the game releases and then this game crippling bug gets found by the player great <laughs> like now i'm in trouble with the client because they're like you know that's why it's always scary for me to handle like stores 
like in-game stores mm. because like if real transactions are taking place, oh, I can, yeah, right? That's I where see, it gets yeah, scary yeah. developing that system. You're like, eh, I, I get that. Do, yeah. I don't want to deal with that. So I always try and veer away from handling <laughs> the in-game store aspect of stuff. Yeah, that's um, a whole different level, right? Because think of like, oh, if I hit the purchase button the same time that I pull down my notification center, it messes up the transaction, but I still get the coin, right? So it's just like, it's just it's annoying to mm. deal with. But yeah, that's why I stay away from. <laughs> in-game stores but yeah i wouldn't yeah just the thought of that is kind of freaky right mm. nothing you would ever think about as a player man the in-game store must have been a bitch to make and it was probably you were probably the developer was probably sweating the whole time they made this oh, because yeah. if they messed it up someone finds an exploit in your in-game store menu guess what you just robbed your company of thousands of dollars because oh. people are just hitting a and B at the same time to get infinite money in your store. <laughs> something stupid, right? So, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, something you never think about. It's like, God, I feel bad for that. I always think that every time now. It's the most niche, weird thing to think about. But every time I'm playing a game and I see a store, I'm like, oh, poor man. This poor guy. I bet he hated this. Dude, that's an interesting perspective you have on things now. Right. Because you know all these things or you know what goes into these things. So when you're playing a game and you see something like that, you know somebody was the was, pain yeah. someone went through. Right. Or just like the not the pain even, just like the nervousness. Yeah. Like, right. Like something like that. Which is such a trivial part of the game. Mm. It's the store system. You know what you're like, it's not cool at all. You just click, you know, pay five bucks for this loot box or whatever, right? <laughs> <coughs> but yeah it's the same i mean i even look at it that way when you look at like overwatch and their their the way they handle their loot box system right like that whole screen must have been a pain and must have been Q- qa tested a lot because mm. like what happens is you get the loot box you hit open it plays this huge animation where it like shoots out a bunch of stuff and then the pieces land and then you see what items you got right so they're in particular the box opens i think it's like four or six tokens pop out and then when they land, like the item of whatever you unlocked appears. Mm. And so it's just like that whole sequence is just like something you don't think about. But like, really, that was probably really annoying because it's like the first question that comes to my mind, when is the item rewarded? And the answer for Overwatch, in case I was questioning, is the moment you get the loot box, the, I- the contents inside are determined. Because here's the reason. When you open the loot box mm. and the four little coins pop out, they're actually colored the rarity. So if it's a legendary item, the coin is orange. If it's a common item, the coin is white. So the reason you can see this suddenly becoming an issue is if you hit the open button and you don't see an orange coin, you could just alt F4 the game out before the items actually, you even see what the item is, right? right. You don't even see, you just notice, oh, there's no orange coin popping out of the box. Alt F4. Right, because you'd think, oh, let me try opening it again. Because if you reopen the case, because you didn't open it last time, it, it didn't finish the animation, so the case is still sitting there. And then you get to reopen it. Uh, That's why the moment you get the, you unlock the case, the contents have already been determined. So that doesn't happen. Because I'm assuming th- originally the item was unlocked when the animation finished, and then a QA tester went, "What if I just Alt F4 in the middle of the?" of the animation oh, and then wow. you realize oh i can change the contents of the box until you get something until you, you get want. an a legendary that's a orange coin popping out right wow right 
So then they handled it. I'm assuming the developer was like, well, I'll just make the contents predetermined. As soon as you unlock the huh. loot box, that's the contents. And I, I can guarantee you that's how almost every loot box works now. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Old loot boxes, like I know for a fact, because I used to I used to do it before they patched it, was in Mass Effect 3. They had a co-op mode. Huh. I played a lot of that co-op mode. I got to like level like 800 or something outrageous. <laughs> but they had loot boxes and how that's how you unlock weapons. So what you would do is you'd unlock a gun, like let's say it's the Maverick, and it would be the Maverick 1. Mm. If you kept unlocking it, it would go up to 2, 3, 4, all the way to 10. So uh. there was a bug where you would open the box, but as it was, the little wheel was spinning saying loading, um, like right after that, as soon as the items are popping up, because there's like an animation for mm-hmm. them appearing in view, if you didn't see the gun you wanted, you just close, you just shut off the, for, for me it was Xbox 360, you just shut off the Xbox 360. So then when you turn it back on, and then you open the box again, different items came out. <laughs> because they weren't being, the transaction wasn't being finished until you hit OK. So they patched it eventually. But yeah, you could just like keep reopening the same box until you got what you wanted. So I had like a Widowmaker 10 or whatever, mm. or like a Maverick 10. Like, and I like barely played the game because like, I, you know, I, I was like level 11 and I had like the best gun in the game because <laughs> you just kept opening the loot box. So yeah, I can guarantee you, I would, the company would be dumb to not have the contents of the loot box determined when you got it. I, yeah. And that goes for every game. But I guarantee you they all, as soon as the item is added to your inventory, the contents are already predetermined. That's an interesting thing too, because that's something that's something you might not necessarily think of at first when you make when you're doing it. When you're making it, you don't think what happens if someone cancels out of this process before it's finished. Right. Right. So huh. that's how they handled it. And that's the thing that I tell you that you, sometimes you just as a designer you notice that like no one else in the world would ever think of. Is, yeah, that's my loot box determined. Right. It's like, oh, then, then, like, then, like, the whole for me, the whole facade or the whole veil of the loot box falls apart because you're like, there's no like, like it's literally like these rewards are already predetermined, so it doesn't matter what pops out of the box because it's not exciting because I already didn't get what I wanted, right? Right. If you want something, you already did not get it. <laughs> if that makes any sense, right? <laughs> the moment you unlock the loot box, you already know. <laughs> that's not the item that you unlocked so it's like it kind of breaks the facade for me it's just like it's not exciting to open loot boxes yeah yeah i mean I and i have a that. whole separate philosophy on you know if they should even exist or not but like yeah from a like from like that fundamental emotional standpoint because it's like gambling right like it's just that again i hate to ruin your day if you're a obsessive gambler and you've gambled away your house but when you pull that slot machine and you see the numbers spinning that has already been determined. Yeah. If you get three sevens or not, like that's already determined. If you get a cherry and like a whatever, the bef- like bef- probably before you even pull the handle, mm. it's already determined the next outcome. All right. Yeah. Mathematically, um, which I'm sorry if I just ruined your gambling boner. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, and, and that's why I don't gamble much. Never been a big f- that. And it's for me, it's like, for me, it's because it's not a video game, so I'm like, well, you, you, there's no skill involved. You hit the button, and then right. what? You just watch it, right? And it's already, you know, whatever's going to happen is yeah. already going to happen. The only gambling I do is like, like, and I've done very little, but like, it's cards, right? Like you play right, blackjack yeah. or Texas Hold'em or something, because that's like real gambling, right? Like you, you, there are is actual content happening and mm-hmm. gameplay mechanics happening. 
most of the slot machines, yeah, you like you said, you just pull the thing, and then that's why I think arcades are way more fun. Like if you go to like Dave and Buster's or like Round One, because right. you pay money that you put into this game, but if you are better at the game, you get more tickets out of it. Mm-hmm. And I always say that when I go out to like a um, a place like that with Haley, I'll be like, like we'll we'll play all the games there, but I'll be like, this is the money maker. <laughs> like this is the game that I could play for like eight hundred hours and get all the coins. And the game, I even know it. They're always at the same ones. It's the it's that game where it's a giant screen and it's just three red blocks and they bounce left and right. Oh, and then you hit the button and then they freeze and then mm-hmm. you need to make a tower. And if you miss, the block falls. Do you know the game I'm talking about? I think so, yeah. It's basically, it's like this huge eight foot tall thing. And there's these, like I said, the the red blocks and, and they get faster mm. horizontally yep. as you get higher up. Right. So like the, the mega jackpot is like going so fast you can barely even see it. Mm. And then you need to smack the button while it's still on the tower. And if you miss, you don't get any of the money. I got really good at that. And I was like, that's the money maker. It's like if I sat here and spent $40 and did nothing but this game, I could probably get like an $80 prize out of the prize pool. So that's why I find those way more fulfilling than going to just like a casino. Yeah, there's actually some skill to it. Right, some... there's skill involved. And the only skill games at a casino are like card games and stuff. Yeah. Uh, none of the other stuff is skill. You basically just stare at it. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that was that was a fun experience. It was uh, Haley and I went to Foxwoods for a friend's birthday their 21st birthday and she was like i've never gambled before and i'm like don't get excited so we spent like 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 i said i treat gambling like uh you would anything else i i don't go in there saying oh i hope to win money i say i'm gonna go in there with 40 dollars, 50 dollars, yep. and if i lose it all whatever like it's just like the same thing as going to an arcade but if i win stuff cool like i don't care right well i would i would go there with with a certain amount of money right whatever 40 dollars, whatever and i would play that money and if I ever won anything, I would cash out, right? Put that aside, right? And when I was done with my original, right, money that I brought, I would be done. Whatever I won is whatever I have left, if right. anything, right? Which would sometimes so, be nothing, but right. I would even sometimes like it depends on the the mood I'm in. If I'm just having fun walking around pulling machines or whatever, which is not incredibly exhilarating, but I'll just play till i'm out yeah um because part of the experience is just walking around with friends and doing that stuff right. so like i said it was Haley's first time ever gambling so it was like we put like 50 dollars in and we ended up winning like i guess in total you could say we probably won not at the same time but cumulatively we we definitely got over our 50 dollar original mm. so i think it was like probably like 80 dollars we got to was our highest mm. and then we dropped all the way back to zero but because we just kept playing and we didn't care if we cashed out with eighty dollars because it's right, like in reality yeah. you're only making thirty. That's not very exciting. Yeah. So it's just like we'll just keep playing, see if we can win a billion dollars. But like, <laughs> hey, you never know, right? <laughs> right, right. So I usually just if I go ever gambling, I go in with the fifty dollars and I play until I'm dry. Even if that means I got up to two hundred dollars at one point, mm. like I, I've never gotten that. You know, like two, three hundred dollars. But like the highest, I, I have definitely gotten higher than my original input. Mm. But I just play till I'm dry because I don't I don't think of it as that way. As yeah. Like, oh, I can get something. We uh, yeah. me and my buddies when I was in my early twenties, um, we after we'd go out to the bar and have a few drinks, more than a few, <laughs> and then afterwards we'd go down to Foxwoods, which 
sounds kind of stupid. Great combo. <laughs> Great combo. Yeah. In the, in the middle of the night. So we'd be down in Foxwoods is like two, three in the morning and there's nobody there. So we just go around and we play entire rows of slot machines. We just right. put in a quarter, hit the button, put in a quarter, hit the button. And just don't, we didn't even care if we won anything. Right, right. It, it was just, just fun to hit all the eight <laughs> slots at the same time. Watch right. them all go. And you're like, right. Yeah. yeah. But no, anyway. that, that could be fun. I don't gamble much, like I said, because I don't find the lack of skill exhilarating. Yeah. I don't think yeah. pulling the slot. But then on top of it, God, there are so many miserable people there that you notice that you're just, it's just like a guy sitting there and you're like you can tell he's just lost like at least two three grand and he's just <laughs> yeah hoping that he doesn't come home to tell his wife hey we're selling the car or whatever <laughs> it's just such a miserable place when you like when you're there in the moment and like you're like oh pulling the slot machine yeah like, oh, this is fun but if you ever take a moment to just step back and look at the players they're like 60 percent of them are miserable there's a 40 percent which are like the young teenage girls or whatever, who are like their first time gambling. They're like, yeah. oh my God. Oh, yeah. Or there's like the young groups that are like kind of drunk but having fun. Yeah. And then there's just a couple of those people that are like 60, 65. And you can tell they've been there for 30 years. They've just been pulling away at that slot and they're totally dead inside. My, my but, buddy used to, uh, he used to like to uh, go to the ATM machine and he always said, oh, this is the only machine that actually pays out every time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's not wrong. It's the only machine that you. you you press something and the money comes out. Yeah. But anyway, well, uh, I've been going for a good while. I think we'll wrap things up here. Okay. Um, any last questions? Yeah. Um, um, so there I go again. <laughs> this is why you should write saying. these things down. People. Right. So write your questions down. If, if, um, so is there any, I guess what I'll say, is there anything, is there anything about your job or your industry that, is was completely unexpected other um, than the clients <laughs> yeah and like i said because i work client-based work that's like a very specific thing mm. but once i get into a triple a studio where they're making the games that they want it'll be it'll be different um yeah i guess the thing that's unexpected is um how much you have to trust some of your coworkers, mm. and how not realizing how important communication skills can be Ah, so like what i mean by that is it's one of the hardest things to do and i was struggling with it tonight is like speaking in layman's terms Mm. like what i what my feature does or like how i'm how i made it or like like explaining that to someone who has no idea so like usually it's your boss or the producer where they're like why isn't this feature done yet it's like well because the way our backend system works, it only pulls information when you need it. And they're just like, I don't know what any of that means. And you're just like, basically, and then you say it a second time, and they're like, I still don't get it. And then you're like, internet no work good. And then they'll be like, okay. So it's like, you know, right? So it's like, it's hard to explain sometimes where you're like, the only way you know how to explain it is like super in depth and detailed of like, this is exactly how I wrote this. Mm. And they're just like, I don't get it. Or like, like you know for me it's more common talking to like an artist of like they're like what do you need from me well it's like well the shader system works this way so that means that your model needs to do this blah 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 and then they'll be like what <laughs> so do you want it to dab or not right <laughs> or something like to do the animation it's just like no yeah it, it's communicating and then the other way is is the same way back is like understanding when to just 
infer information when someone tells you about it or, or understanding when you should be asking for more. Mm. So like you say to your artists, like, what about this? And you'll be like, well, see if we take like the thing and we, you know, they talk about like inverting stuff and whatnot. And you're just like, I don't know. Like, oh, if we take like the mask and we invert it and we take the normal map and then we like retopologize. And it's just like, I don't, okay. Yeah. And, and like you have to either a like kind of deduce what they're trying to say or like, or like the final outcome out of their whole jargon, like their whole spiel. Like, okay, what is he trying to make out of? Mm. Oh, he's trying to make the model smoother or something or just as figuring out when you just outright need to be like you need to explain this again like i need to know exactly what you're doing because like i can't get my work done if i don't understand why your thing is broken Mm. um but yeah it's definitely the communication of like i mean again i haven't really worked in many other fields like my only main other job was in retail so it's like even though i didn't have somebody's job i understood what what their job was or like if they explained something to me, I understood how that could work. Right. But in this job, they are most likely working on something that you have no idea how it works. And you need to be able to effectively communicate to each other to get the final product out the door. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's not something I was expecting. Yeah. I don't think most people would, would right. realize that. Yeah. It is like your artists know nothing about engineering mm-hmm. and your engineers for the most part know nothing about some of the intricacies of art. Cause like, I obviously know basic art stuff and they probably right. know basic programming stuff. Like if they're like, is this possible? And I'd be like, well, no. And they'll be like, okay. But sometimes they ask like, well, why not? And then like, you're like, Oh, here we go. We got the render pipeline. We got the forward rendering versus the deferred. Re- and then they're like, I'm lost. And then you're, you're like, like okay. let me get a translator. Right, right. Um, so yeah, that was probably the most unexpected. Um, like and i mean that in general game design terms like the most unexpected was how clients think they know everything but that's like that's not like a game design quite that's just like a client-based work Mm. unexpected thing right i i'm not always going to be doing client-based work but something i will always have to be doing is learning how to effectively communicate with other people who might have zero idea what you're doing right um and you never know what their level Right, you don't is, right, so. and like I've already had a few instances where I've tried explaining something to someone, and they're like, "I know how this works." Like, you don't have to talk to me like a five. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know because I talked to like Steve B- B- Bro dude yesterday, and I said the exact same sentence, and he looked like I was speaking Italian. <laughs> so it's like, right, it's like I'm sorry if I talk to you like you're five. So now that's become like my innate thing to say is like, I'll say at the beginning of the conversation, "Stop me if you already know this." Like, if you already understand this, just stop me. Right. And that's not my fault. Like, mm. I, I'm not I'm not assuming you're dumb or I'm not assuming you already know this thing. I'm just saying it how I think is most clear. And if that makes it if I, if I accidentally come off as like douchey, like, just <laughs> let me know. I won't be offended. <laughs> well, you see here, the models need to be right or something stupid. And then uh, the old. Well, actually, yeah, well, actually, <laughs> let me mansplain this to you. <laughs> But yeah, that would definitely be the most unexpected thing. Interesting. Um, and actually, I well, after you started answering that question, I thought of the other question that I was trying to think of. And I guess we'll finish with that one. And that is, um, what would you like a, as a as a game designer now understanding that side of everything? What is what is one thing you wish you could let that that everybody on the end user side understand 
Um, that's a tough one because there's almost two answers. There's one as a designer and one as an engineer. Um, from an engineering perspective, uh, the thing that I would that I wish everyone would know is that it's a miracle computers even run <laughs> with how <laughs> complex they are. Sometimes the game isn't working as intended and it's not the game's fault. It's probably your setup or your situation. So like they could complain about like, Oh, this looks like garbage. And it's like, well, it could be, you know, again, it could be the combination of the processor and the GPU you're using. Right. Or like maybe you're, you know, maybe you're running like a homebrew version, like a, like a, a Hackintosh. So like it doesn't run correctly on Mac than you'd expect, right? Like sometimes games don't work as intended from an engineering perspective because of your unique situation that I could never play test. for. Right. Like maybe your game's lagging, but like maybe you also have 35 devices on your Wi-Fi, mm. right? Maybe you have a family where everyone has a phone and a laptop and a desktop and a iPad or whatever, and that's causing throttling to happen which is why you're getting the unintended gameplay experience Mm. um but then from a design perspective sometimes i see this goes both ways for me there are times where i want to say to designers things and then there's times when i want to say to the user some things so i'll start with the designer one because that's the one that intrigues me more is sometimes just because something statistically is balanced or makes sense doesn't mean it feels that way and the biggest accuser or the biggest, uh, what do you call them? Like the perpetrators for that is for me, it's specifically Blizzard and World of Warcraft, right? Where they're like, mm. people complain like, oh, this class sucks. Like this, they, they, they suck. And then Blizzard will be like, well, technically their DPS is only 2.2% lower on average than everyone else's. And then you're like, cool, but that doesn't feel good because <laughs> I understand it's only 2%. But when you look at the like the DPS charts and the leaderboards and you're at the bottom, it feels like you're way worse than you really are. And mm. it feels really bad. So like, even though theoretically like it, it shouldn't be a problem in reality it feels way worse than it is mm, interesting but then yeah. on the other hand i want to say that to the players and say okay i realize you're at the bottom of the leaderboard and it sucks to see your name at the bottom but on the other hand you're only doing two percent less than everyone else <laughs> this dude is doing a hundred thousand damage right you're doing 196 or something stupid right like, like it's just like you're doing way like you're not doing that much less right and this and that goes for all kinds of games with balancing is it's like oh i'm playing this game and this gun and this shooter sucks it's like well actually it it only does 10% less damage than this super good gun so it's not really that bad you just feel like it is or on the other hand you go to the designer and you say this gun feels bad to you even though statistically speaking, like it should be working fine. It just feels bad. Right. It doesn't feel intuitive. Um, but yeah, th- that would be, like I said, for, there, there's two different aspects I look at from the engineering side of what I would tell people and from the design side of what I would tell people. And the design side obviously is more interesting to me because right. that's what I, even though I am a programmer and I, you know, I am an engineer at a company a software engineer, I still would consider myself at heart more of a designer because I like that idea of what makes people play, 
what makes them not want to play it what makes them get addicted to it why does this thing feel good or why does it feel bad and then the inner engineer in me and says oh i wonder how they made that like i said like the mario hand like oh i wonder how much work actually went into making that feel natural um and then for the my designer goes well they did it right because it feels natural you don't even notice right so interesting yeah well uh actually yeah this has been a very interesting conversation uh so thank you eric for doing this with me of course it uh yeah it's very interesting i've always kind of you're never gonna look at loot boxes the same. I can tell you that. <laughs> I know. Now every time I play, you any see, game, play a loot box, like, you're gonna go. I get no satisfaction out of opening this. I know, right? Because I already my contents have already, my destiny has already been predetermined. I'm either going to get this item or not. And there you have a uh, a word on life too. Right there you go. A revelation. <laughs> life is like a loot box. like a loot box. It's been predetermined. Life is meaningless. No, I'm That's but, a whole other podcast. Right, right. But anyway, yeah. This has been really interesting for me. This I like, like I said, I like the understand the behind the scenes. Yeah, and it's interesting how things work, what goes into them. It's interesting yeah. to get to talk to somebody who who does video games. So, thank you again, and um, that'll do it for us. Thank you all for listening, um, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Goodbye.